Because God is good all the time. It's so good to worship today, so good to be together. It's been a, an action-packed week at uh, Tallowood, a lot going on with our revival and with uh, uh, Spark Weekend, our Disciple Now Weekend for our students. Our fifth graders went on retreat, uh, 55 of them, and uh, it's just been a magnificent weekend. But it's also been a weekend in which we're reminded again that we live in a fragile world with a lot of pain and a lot of hurt, and we are fresh uh, on our minds is Haiti, and then we hear about Chile and uh, the problems there, and an 8.8 quake on the Richter scale. And this week I've been reading a book suggested by one of you, uh, given to me by one of you, uh, by Richard Starnes. It's called The Hole in Our Gospel. And in it he tells about an anonymous man who says, honestly, sometimes I would like to ask God why he allows poverty suffering and injustice when he could do something about it and his friend said well why don't you ask him he said because I'm afraid he would ask me the same question why do we allow suffering and poverty when we can do something about it would you open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 9 verses 35 to 38 I want to think with you about hope for the helpless today as we continue our series on hope we have done a survey of the Old Testament. We move now into the New Testament. These are strategic days in the life of our city and our church as we purpose to share the good news of Jesus Christ with all people in our state before Easter Sunday. We've got a lot of work to do, don't we? Let's stand together and hear the word of the Lord. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus has just been criticized by the Pharisees. They've said, oh, he casts out demons by the power of Satan. Jesus answers by continuing to do good. Listen to what it says. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Would you pray with me, Father, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So how do you respond to criticism? Jesus is a model for us because he often encountered criticism. Back in Mark chapter 4, we read in verse 23, almost an identical verse. It says, after Jesus is tempted in the wilderness, after he's baptized, that he goes out and he sort of makes a survey of the country. And everywhere he goes, he teaches in their synagogues and he preaches the good news of the kingdom and he heals sickness and he has continued that ministry. He has taught the Sermon on the Mount. And then he has dealt with the issue of authority. The people would say, we've never heard anybody teach or preach with the authority that Jesus has. He's not like our teachers of the law. And the religious leaders took exception with that and said, well, where does he get the authority to do these things? By what authority do you say your sins are forgiven? Why can you say this to somebody? They ask Jesus. And Jesus continues to deal with them. And then as he continues his ministry, they begin to criticize him. And instead of responding to them verbally, instead what Jesus does is continue to do good. 
And when he's preaching and teaching and healing, greater crowds of people come to him. And when he sees them, he sees them as harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. They're harassed. They're helpless. But they are not hopeless. They're not hopeless because the hope of the world has come into the world to meet the needs of people, to respond to all of their needs. Not only has He come, but He cares very deeply. It says He was moved with compassion because of their needs. And then He calls His disciples to move beyond discipleship to apostleship, to pray and to participate in the urgency of the harvest. I often wonder what Jesus would do if He came to Tallowood on a Sunday morning and sat down in one of our pews What would he see if he looked around at us? If he just spent some time in the parking lot or or he went to our homes with us for lunch afterward, what would Jesus see? Would he look at us in this particular congregation and say, you know what? They've got it together. They don't need me at all. They have got a good life and things are going well for them and everything is great for these people. I'll go over to another part of the city where people have greater needs. I'm convinced if Jesus came to Tallowood and looked at my life and your lives, He would say, harassed, helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. We must not believe for a moment that the blessings of God in our lives have somehow made us self-sufficient and self-reliant. We, we hear the words of, uh, of Thoreau and Emerson. One of my sons has been studying them in his English class. And, and they talk so much about how important it is for us to be self-reliant and sort of self-sufficient. But the truth is, we are utterly dependent on God who is our only hope. And this God who has come to us and cares so deeply about us also calls us to join Him in sharing His hope with a helpless world. Notice about our hope in Christ that it is inherently incarnational. I mean by that, that Jesus became flesh. It's it's there again in verse 35 where it says, Jesus went through all the... Can you believe Jesus pitched His tent among us, walked where we walk, lived where we lived, felt what we feel. Jesus lived among us and He walked around through the towns and villages. And what did He do? He taught in their synagogues. And if we say, I would love to hear Jesus teach, we need only to read the Sermon on the Mount and hear Jesus say, blessed are you. When we wonder what Jesus would teach, we see His parables recorded here in the Gospel of Matthew. And not only did He teach, which is first, isn't it interesting? It's first that Jesus gives them instruction, which brings them to the point of relationship with Himself. But then He preaches the good news. He, the word is evangelizes. He proclaims the good news. He, he tells the glad tidings. You and I love to get good news from time to time. We'll get a phone call, and the phone call will say, it's a boy, or... We're expecting a child or um, you got the job or an A on a test. We love to hear good news, but has there ever been better news than this? Christ has come. He walks among us. He, He teaches. He preaches. He heals. And He is still involved in these ministries through us. I read this week about a man named Jeremy Groupman who works with 
Harvard in the medical school there and he said the one thing they've noticed about people who need to be healed is that the one component that is almost always there in those who receive physical healing through their hospital is a sense of hope that they can be healed. He said, we use the same medicines with everybody, but those who don't believe they can be healed, those who've given up hope are not healed, but those who have hope are those who inevitably make the most of the medication and they're the ones who are more likely to get well. And I come to you this morning grateful for our physicians and their gifts of healing, but also aware that you and I are the ones who share the hope of Jesus Christ with people so that they can trust in Him and believe in His power to heal. And what Jesus is saying to us just by walking among us is, I want you to walk in this world, to be part of it, to breathe its air, to eat its food, to drink its water, to feel its pain, and to share in the helplessness of the world and to realize that I have come to help through you. And Jesus is going to call his disciples to do something about the pain in the world. I love the story of the young novice in the monastery. And his abbot said to him, Tomorrow morning, you're going to be the preacher. And he said, But I don't know how to preach. And he said, It doesn't matter. You're going to stand up and preach. And so he was very nervous and he was trembling when he stood up. His knees were knocking. And he looked at the people and he said to them, Do you know what I'm going to say? And they all looked at him and shook their heads, No. And he said, neither do I. And he just pronounced the benediction and the the, uh, abbot said, hey, that's not going to work. You're back up tomorrow morning. You're not going to get out of this. So he stands up the next morning and he says, do you know what I'm going to say? And they were there the day before and they all sort of nod their heads. Yes. He said, well, if you already know, there's no sense in me telling you. And he pronounces the benediction. And finally, uh, the next day that the abbot is so angry at him, he says, if you don't preach a sermon, it's going to be bread and water and solitude for you. You have got to preach. You've got to learn to do this. And he stands up and he says to the people, do you know what I'm going to say? And half of them remember the first day and say no. And the other half remember the second day and they nod their heads. Yes. And he says, well, those of you who know, tell those of you who don't know. And he pronounced the benediction. Well, this is what Jesus was doing when he spoke to his disciples. He was saying, you know the good news. You have heard the gospel story. You have seen me teach and preach and heal. Now, you who know must tell those who don't know. This is what Texas Hope 2010 is about. That those of us who've heard the good news of Jesus Christ would tell others. It's why, it's why we're going to have a, a walk just walking through our city this afternoon from 2 to 4 on behalf of the people in Haiti. It's why next Saturday morning we're going to have a, a prayer walk just here in our neighborhood. Just walking through this area praying over the homes and the people who live in them. We want like Jesus to walk through this world And just by our lives, uh, as St. Francis of Assisi said, preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, to use words. Our hope is an incarnational hope. Notice it's also a compassionate hope. It says in verse 36, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Why? Because they were harassed. It means they were troubled and distressed. It it really speaks of a a spiritual condition in which they were being um, misused and abused spiritually by their spiritual leaders. In chapter 23, verse 3, Jesus will say to the Pharisees, woe to you because you take away people's hope. 
He says to them in verse 13, you, you weigh people down with tremendous burdens that you yourselves could never carry. These people are harassed and they are also helpless. The word, I think the best way we can put it is they've been pushed down and stepped on. They've been kicked to the curb. And He looks at them and Jesus sees this enormous need and He is moved with compassion by that need. And in a little book that Richard Starnes has written called The Hole in Our Gospel, he asks some poignant questions of us. How is it that there are 12 million orphans in sub-Saharan Africa alone, all of whom lost their parents to AIDS? 12 million there at, at uh, the epicenter, at ground zero of the AIDS epidemic in Uganda. He met a little 13-year-old boy who was raising his two little brothers because their parents both died of AIDS. In this kind of world where there are 3 billion people who are poor, 3 billion people who live on less than $2 a day, but the same statistician said there are 2 billion Christians. Can I just ask you, how can there be 2 billion followers of Christ and still be 3 billion people suffering enormous need in poverty. Did you know there are 2,000 verses in our Bibles about justice and about caring for those who are poor? If we took those 2,000 verses out, we wouldn't have much Bible left. It's written in nearly every page that you and I must care for those who are poor and respond to their needs. And God wants us to have compassion. And sometimes in this world, we are guilty of what they call compassion fatigue. We, uh, we just throw up our hands and say, I don't know what to do. After Haiti comes Chile, where's the next shoe going to fall in our world? Where's the next need going to be? And how can we possibly respond to all these needs? But if we understood the resource we have in Christ, we would not be fatigued with our compassion. It's only when we become just like the world around us and become wrapped up in its pursuits that we lose sight of the power of God to transform culture, to change our world. One of our men shared with me after our Bible study on Thursday morning about the yuppie who was uh, driving his automobile and he ran off in a ravine and wrecked his, his very fine automobile in his car and he was standing up there on, on the hill looking down at his car which was just in shambles. And he was saying, oh, my car, my car, my luxury car. And, and uh, this uh, policeman walked up to him and said, man, you, you better forget about your car. You're, you're, did you notice your left arm was severed in the accident? You've lost your arm. And he looks down and he goes, my Rolex, my Rolex. Sometimes we're so concerned about things that we lose sight of the enormity of the need in our world. And I want us to have the eyes of Christ to see with compassion, to say with Bob Pierce, the founder of World Vision, let my heart be broken with the things that break the heart of God. We live in a world with enormous suffering and the suffering will continue and Jesus sees harassed and helpless people like sheep without a shepherd. It really refers back to the Old Testament, doesn't it? Moses who, who prayed when he was about to leave, don't let these people be like sheep without a shepherd, but provide a shepherd for them. We hear it in the, the words of Zechariah who talks about the shepherds who have not had the heart of the Heavenly Father to care for the sheep. And when Jesus sees sheep without a shepherd, he, the shepherd, begins to speak to his disciples about this compassionate hope and he makes it vocational. I don't mean that it became their career. I mean it became 
Their calling. That's what the word vocation means. And their calling. He says the harvest is plentiful. Notice the urgency. The harvest is plentiful. Somebody's got to get this harvest in before, before it's lost. The workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest. And Jesus not only comes and cares, but He calls His disciples to move beyond their own interest to the interest of a world in need. He says, ask the Lord of the harvest. He invites us to pray. And when we pray to understand just how big our God is, He's the Lord of the whole harvest. The fields belong to Him. Every person you and I know has been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus paid it all so that they all might come to know Him. Jesus is the Lord of the harvest. His arm is not too short to save. He is able to heal. I read this week that in some ways we have diminished salvation just to the point of receiving Christ and becoming a Christian. And we have forgotten that the larger message of the Gospel is that our God is not only able to save a soul, He is able to transform the world. He's the Lord of the whole harvest. And He he says, pray that the Lord of the harvest will send out, no, that word's not strong enough, throw out workers into the harvest. It's not the word apostello to send, which gives us our word apostle. Ekbalo. The Lord has to throw us out. Remember the Lanny Wolf song, My house is full, but my fields are empty. Who will go and work for me today? It seems that all my children want to sit around my table, but no one wants to work in my field. The Lord of the harvest calls us to pray today that God will throw us out. And even as they pray, they become the answer to their own prayers. An African proverb says, Pray, but as you pray, rise to your feet. Because prayer inevitably invites us to action. If there is a harvest and God needs workers and we're praying for workers, doesn't it make sense when Jesus in the very next verse in chapter 10 verse 1 begins to call His disciples together and in verse 2 for the very first time they're called apostles. We love to learn. We love to be disciples. It's a very intensive focus of Tallowood for many years. We want to draw near to Jesus. But will you hear me when I say, if you're really a disciple and you're really a learner, your focus will not remain inward. Eventually, it will go outward. Eventually, we must move from disciple, learner, to apostle, one who is sent. To hear the voice of God saying, you live in a fallen world and if you're drawing near to me, then open your eyes and see people as I see people and respond to their need. I think about Mark Batterson's little book, The Wild Good Chase. And in that book, he tells about a time when he was praying with some friends, ministries, InterVarsity Fellowship had gathered them together and one ministry said, we really need a computer. Would you just pray for God to provide a computer? And Mark said, I'll pray for you. And he started praying and he said, oh Lord, provide a computer for this ministry. This ministry needs a computer. You know they do, Lord. You, you find that computer. You provide the perfect computer. And he said, the Lord interrupted his prayer, not rudely, but sternly and said, well, you're the one with the extra computer. Why are you asking me about it? And he stopped praying right there and said, I'm sorry, because I started to pray And now I realize that I'm the answer to my own prayer. Jesus' disciples, when He said, pray that the Lord will send out workers, immediately Jesus sends them out with authority to go and do exactly what He's done, to teach and preach and heal in His name. He sends them out with His authority. Do you know we already have all the authority we need to do everything that God has called us to do? His divine power has given us everything we need 
for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, my theme verse for life. His divine power has given us everything we need. As I read Richard Starn's book this week, The Hole in Our Gospel, he told his own story. When he got married back in 1977, his wife said, we need to register at some local department store so people can buy us very nice gifts for our wedding. And he, idealistic young man that he was, said, as long as there are people who are starving to death in our world, I'm not registering at a nice department store to get nice gifts. We need to care about people who are hurting in our world. His uh, life took some interesting turns. He became the head of Parker Brothers, the game manufacturing company. By the age of 33, he was the CEO. Then he was fired from there and fired from another job and humbled by that and eventually ended up at Linux. Anybody know what Linux is? L-E-N-O-X, fine China. He became the CEO of Linux and received a phone call one day that said, we think you're supposed to be the next president of World Vision. Why would I leave my 200-year-old house in the Philadelphia countryside outside of Philadelphia with my five children and my wife and give up our security? But when he heard God's voice, he obeyed and he is now the head of World Vision and he goes into places, a woman in Pakistan who said, I don't believe in God because I don't have anybody who cares about me. The three little boys there in Uganda, the 13-year-old raising his brothers, he has seen the world through the eyes of Christ. Have we seen the world? Have we heard about the need? Do we care? I only ask because Christ has no eyes but your eyes to see. He has no, Teresa of Avila says He has no hands but your hands to touch the world. He has no feet but our feet to walk into this world and share the good news of Jesus Christ. Will we see? Will we touch? Will we go? Will you pray with me? Father, thank You for calling us today to be Your body, the body of Christ in this world. Lord, we pray for the people in Chile. Oh God, would You sustain and strengthen those who lost loved ones. We pray for the people in Haiti. 230,000 people have died. Oh God, we cannot imagine that number. Each one, a significant life, has left family and dreams and hopes And Father, I pray that You would call us to more than just the American dream. Lord, I I pray that You would heal our broken country, but I pray that You would help us to see that You use broken things. That out of our brokenness, You might draw us nearer to You than we've ever been before. So that we might minister as we never have before. We ask that You would enable us to be the body of Christ on mission in this city. God, give us eyes to see ears to hear. Help us, I pray, to be responsive to street reach and the mission centers and the star of hope and the open door and all the ways, Lord, that You were caring for the people who have been forgotten in this city. And help us, I pray, Lord, to offer hope to a helpless world. In Jesus' name, Amen.